all right? We're talking about persecution, John 15, 18 to 27. He just read that, and I want you to see some things. We're going to see the fact of the persecution, but just before I say that, I want to say, again, we have to remember, where are we at? Where are we at in, in the Bible right now? We're in John chapter 15, the end of John chapter 15. We're in this incredible, the longest teaching we have of Jesus written down from John 13 to 16, 17, that is all one long teaching time. They're, they're having dinner together, and Jesus begins teaching, and all kinds of things hit them. Now, remember what it must have been like for them. Jesus is the most incredible person, man, human being they've ever, the disciples have ever seen. He's done things that are unbelievable. They are ready to march to the gates of hell with him to start this new kingdom that he'll be in charge of. This is, I mean, they're just so overwhelmed by this. And then he starts to talk to them. And remember in, in chapter 13, we started, he starts talking about betrayal. I'm going to be betrayed. He's talking about dying. I'm going to die. They're flabbergasted. They just can't believe what he's saying. And then Peter starts to talk to him. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me. You, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, that's impossible. You know, this is shaking them to their core. They have followed this man. They have seen him work. They have seen these incredible things. And suddenly he's telling them it's all going to go to pieces. That's what it sounds like to them. And so they're confused. I'm sure they're a little bit, this is depressing for them. They don't know what to think. They're thinking, you're going to die. How can, how can we live without you? This, this, this can't happen without you. It's not going to happen without you, Jesus. There'll be no kingdom. How can you be king if you're a dead king? And so they're totally mixed up. They don't understand. They're wondering how they're going to make it without him. And he's teaching them, this is how you're going to make it without me. This is how you're going to live life when I'm gone. And he says, you're going to do all the, and he talks about all these different things. He talks about all these different ways. Where are you going to get this confidence to live? Where are you going to get this hope to be strong? Where are you going to get strength? And he's teaching them this all along, 13, 14, 15. And now he's telling them, this is also what's going to happen when I'm gone. You're going to get persecuted. There's going to be tough times. It's going to be hard. And so he's telling them these things because he's warning them. You will be looked at differently because of me. People are going to look at you differently. A relationship with Jesus causes different relationships in the world. It changes things. It changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we speak to the world. It changes the way we live in the world. And it changes the way the world sees us and speaks to us and lives around us. He says, you can't escape that. It's a fact. So the fact of persecution is 18, 19, 20. And I know he just read it, but I just want to, if, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember that, he says. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He's telling them, he's teaching them, he's saying, look, do you understand? It's because of me. The world's gonna hate you. And he, and he says, if the world hates you, because there's different ideas, different levels in a sense of persecution. And then he says, remember, 
what I told you. I'm re- remember something. A servant is not greater than his master. He taught that earlier in this sermon. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. They'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So he's telling them, listen, I want you to understand. Don't be surprised by this. It is a fact. There's going to be persecution. There will be. There will be at times this hatred, this desire to strike back at some way to people who take a stand for God. It's just the way it is. He taught about this earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, this is is gonna happen. Now, I want you to understand something, because this, this can cause people, this can make people struggle, right? Because what, what, what's going on? We're sitting here, no one here, no one here is worried that when you walk out of these doors, you'll be identified as a certain type of person and possibly lose your life. No one here is worried about that. No one here is worried necessarily, and it does happen occasionally still. I mean, it does, not still, it does happen occasionally, but it's not, not that common at this point. No one here is going to worry that you're going to walk out of here, you're going to be identified, and you're going to be fired tomorrow because you were here, <clears throat> because you take a stand on things like this, like coming to church, following God, honoring him. We're not worried about that, right? And so then what can happen is we go, well, are we doing something wrong, right? No, no. He says, first, if the world hates you. So he says, it's not always going to happen that way. But secondly, the Greek word for persecute, the English, I should say, the English word for persecute is very strong. Whenever somebody says persecute, I think of people getting beaten, people getting killed. The Greek word for persecute is, is, is not quite like that, all right? It has this idea of disdain. I don't like you. You bother me. Now, it can ramp up, right? But it's a word that means a whole wide range of negative. So it can mean disdain. It can mean, it's translated sometimes as harass or contempt. It can mean hate. But they are all, this is the key, they're all in response to you being a Christian. So it doesn't mean that in every society in the history of the world, Christians are killed and hurt for their faith. It happens a lot. It's happening right now in different parts of the world all the time. I have a friend who's from Afghanistan. He lives in this area. When he became a Christian, and the key was when he got baptized. When he got baptized, there was a fatwa issued. His death was commanded. He's lived in Europe some, India some, Europe some, and US some, because every so often, he gets a phone call. We know where you live. We're looking for you. Because the fatwa is still going on now. Right? So he's in a real danger. He lives in this country. He's in a real danger because he's a Christian. But that doesn't, it doesn't mean it happens to everyone. It does mean this. If you live consistently for Jesus Christ, there will at times be contempt, insults, mockery, misunderstanding, disdain. If you're willing to live consistently and not hide what you believe, that, Jesus says, that will come. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It will happen. People won't understand. I didn't, I didn't, I told you guys this a lot. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. 
Um, um, we didn't, that wasn't a big deal. That wasn't anything in, in our house. And one day, um, one of my three brothers, the middle brother, he came home. He'd been at college. And he said, I met Jesus. And we were all like, he's a looney tune. He's crazy. What is going on here? And, and he started talking about this organization called Crew that changed his life. Changed his life. And immediately our family went all hands on deck to kind of convince him that this wasn't right. My parents got angry with him. My dad was really frustrated with him and, and, and gave him, you know, the, he got, in a sense, a taste of persecution because he was a Christian. It's, it's going to happen. It might be your family. It might be friends. It might be coworkers. It, might, it could be any number of things. So we've been warned. But the thing is, sometimes we try to minimize our faith and then the chances of being disdained are lessened. And this is a difficulty faced by Christians all over the world. You know, for us, that's a pretty small thing when you think about it. But for somebody who knows they may die for their faith, that's a hard thing. How do I make it known? What do I do? Right? So, real upbeat, positive message today, right? Everybody's going, thanks, Bob. Now we're going to all go home and feel bad and take naps, right? But that's what happens, unfortunately, when you teach the Bible in an expository manner. Not unfortunately, that's fortunately. Because we're learning it as the way it was written for the people it was written, the way Jesus taught for us, and we can't skip it. I, I did some research on this passage, and I found there's an incredible number, there's a huge number of people that never speak about this. Because... It's not fun. This isn't our happy thought, right? I'd rather hear John 3.16 over and over and over. But we have to go through this. I would be lying to you if we didn't. So we have to go through this. So there is the fact, the fact of persecution. Now I want you to see the why of persecution. Why are we persecuted? In 21, he says, they will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. And it says where, where it says, um, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. That word there is it's, it's, sin is, a, is in the singular. It's a, he's saying this very particular sin. It doesn't mean they're not guilty of any sins. It just means this one has really come to the fore because he spoke to them and they've reacted to him that way. All right. And so here we go. This gets to the heart of the matter. Why, when someone says they are a Christian and tries to live for Jesus Christ, does it incite people? Because everybody believes something about God. Everybody. Everybody believes in some way, does he exist? Or they believe he doesn't exist, but they believe something about God. Who he says he is? Or he's not who he says he is, but they believe something about God. And both views are based on some measure of faith. We know that we cannot prove the existence of God by science and reason alone. But also God cannot be disproved by science and reason alone either. In fact, we all have deeply held beliefs, deeply held views that cannot be proven by reason or experiment, experimentation alone. But we know that they're true. This is not just about God. We all have deeply held beliefs, all people do, that cannot be proven by reason or experimentation alone. So like we know what the 
the boiling temperature of water is at sea level. We can do it over and over and over. It's very predictable. We know how that works. But on the other hand, we can't test, we can't prove the inherent dignity of all human beings. That all human beings have this inherent dignity that sets them apart. As Christians, we look at that because they're made in the image of God. But even people who don't believe in Jesus will believe there's an inherent dignity in human beings. You can't prove it. We believe human beings have human rights. There's no way to experiment or prove that. We believe you should be kind to people. Everyone believes that. We should work against injustice. We believe these things. We react against injustice. We react against exploitation because we believe those things are wrong. We can't prove it. Those are just deeply held beliefs. All of humanity has deeply held beliefs like that. But Christianity goes a step further. It's countercultural to every culture in history. Christianity has called every culture in history to account on some things. Christianity has gone against every culture in history. If you're in a culture that prides itself, its celebration of individualism or self-actualization, like our culture, Christianity Christianity calls it to account. It counters it by saying, no, you need community. You can't be just a lone individual, you know, standing strong against the storm. That doesn't work. You need community. You need people. You need to be involved in people's lives, and they need to be involved in yours. You were made to function that way. You function best in community. Now, let's go the opposite, a culture that emphasizes community, the family, the clan, very big on that kind of thing. Christianity emphasizes to that culture that you need a personal relationship with God, and you have a brotherhood and a sisterhood from all different clans and all different families and all different nations. See how much that, the cultures struggle with that, and that's, Because Christianity is, I always say, it's an equal opportunity offender. It offends everyone. It goes against the culture of everyone. If you work in a business, a commercial culture, that emphasizes the bottom line, even if it means skirting the law or having unethical standards, and then you become committed to a high degree of integrity, which is what the Bible calls us to do, you will be countercultural to them. And here's the key, you will be threatening to them. You will be threatening to them. I don't, I, I don't ever want to make people feel bad. When, when I worked for tips, I reported to the IRS all my tips. I reported all of them. I was making so much money. All the other people on staff reported just a portion and then got the rest tax-free. And one day at our work, we were visited by the corporate tax lawyer for the company we worked for. And he called us together and he just said, some of you are not reporting all your tips. And if you get audited, we we can't defend you. you. That's against the law. And they all said, oh, we're reporting all our tips. We, We report all of them. We just don't make that much. And he said, one of you makes almost 10 times what the rest of you make. So the IRS 
would nail you guys because it's obvious. And everyone went, bah. And I went, I don't report my tips. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, I, I do. I do. I report. I have. It's the law. It's the right thing to do. And um, so the guy, we talked, the guy left, and we had a little meeting. And they were like, stop. Stop. And I said, no. I'm not going to stop. And, and I think they thought they could kind of, you know, whatever, and intimidate me in some way or something, I guess. I don't know. But I just said, I, I just can't. I can't do that. I cannot do that. I can't do that. It's not, it's not my choice. I cannot do it. And I said, I told you guys, I, I, as a Christian, I cannot do that. And um, one of them was like, okay, you can be a Christian, but just don't take it so far. And I can't do it. I can't do it. And it was a, a tough time for a little bit, and then they just finally came around. They ended up reporting a little bit more and felt like that got the government off their shoulders and um, just went on. You see, if you are in a business culture and you decide to take integrity and, and the business doesn't have that kind of integrity, there will be clashes and you will be threatening to them. You'll be threatening to them. If you're part of a culture that believes you should relentlessly self-promote, does that sound familiar? That's our culture. Relentlessly self-promote. Get your brand. Make your brand. And, and I, I was reading, and, and I'm not against branding, Okay, don't take this overboard. But I was reading, there's this person that wrote a book on branding, and they were saying, you want your brand to be that you, you want it to be something about how authentic you are, and you want it to be about how open you are, and da, 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 like this, and accepting you are. And, and, and if things go wrong, don't tell anybody about it. And I said, well, how's that being authentic and open in it? I, I don't understand how that works. Well, it's because you need your brand to be promoted. And, and, and if you bring out failures, your brand is not promoted. So don't share that stuff. So I'm going to say I'm authentic, but I'm going to lie at times. That's a pride. You know, so if you're in a culture like that, honesty and vulnerability is threatening. It can be threatening for people. The early church was incredibly threatening to the culture around there. I could go through, we just don't have the time to talk about it. But I wanted, I see, there was an interesting thing reading about this and, and, and how the society around them reacted to them. Because part of society, really in that day, in the Greco-Roman society, they considered the Christians to be too liberal. They didn't like that. Because they helped the poor. They helped the lowest people without regard to their clan, their status, or their religion. See, they believed we're all responsible for our people. If you believe what I believe, you know, you worship the emperor. Then we keep, we, we watch out for each other. You emperor Zeus, we, we watch out for it. You're a farmer. Oh, we watch out for each other. You're in my clan, my family. We watch out for each other. But we have no obligation to watch out for anyone else who's not one of those people. And the Christians came along, and they just went nuts. They, 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 they watched out for anyone. In fact, one of, the, one of the pagan historians says, they're so bad, they take care of our people who don't even believe what they believe. And they give them help, and they love them, and they serve them. This is wrong. This is wrong. And so they were just, they were considered so liberal in the way they did those things. But also, 
you know, this was, that was an incredibly liberal idea, but also they were too conservative, ethically, sexually. They rattled everyone's cages. Cheating on a spouse was not considered okay for Christians. In the Greco-Roman Empire, a man could cheat on his wife all the time. Ooh, sorry, I'm getting so... All the time, and it was not considered wrong. That was not wrong. Now, the wife could never cheat on her husband. That was considered wrong. But the man could cheat on his wife. He could sleep around all the time. It was not considered wrong at all. Do you see why early Christianity empowered women? It told these husbands, nope, just her. Love her, serve her, work, you know, just boom, that's it. And it gave women standing. It gave women, it just said, hey, you're equal. That was totally foreign. And so the Christians were saying, we have this ethical, we have these ethical standards, we have these sexual standards, and it was a tremendous affront to the Roman culture, the dominant culture of sexual liberality. So the liberals didn't like them. Both sides didn't like them. They were hated by everyone. They were a threat. And this happens, this happens in our lives. This happens, this can happen in our day. I, I think it is happening in our day, but let me give you an example it's from a while ago. I'm realizing how old I am. But when Ronald Reagan became president, he selected as the Surgeon General a man named C. Everett Koop. This is a picture of him. I thought I'd just, just for historical purposes. Had the funky, he always got made fun of because it was the funky Amish looking uh, beard. And he wore bow ties when like nobody wore bow ties. And he wore them big, colorful, weird bow ties. And so there was a firestorm when he was nominated for Surgeon General. Why? Because he was a committed Christian. And people said he was medieval. The left hated him for some of his stands because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And the, and the right loved him for those same reasons. And then the AIDS crisis happened. And one of the people who took the lead was in the forefront of saying, this is an epidemic of incredible proportions. We need to do something. There are human beings that are dying every day. We have to show compassion. We have to do the research that's needed. We have to set up the programs that are needed to help these people that are suffering so horribly. And the liberals said, we love you. We love you. And the right condemned him. We can't believe you're endorsing this. We can't believe you take this stand. After uh, Ronald Reagan left office, see Everett Koop talked to uh, the next administration about working in health and human services. And uh, working there, he loved the idea of serving his country. He loved the idea of passing along all this kind of stuff. When he had been asked about the AIDS crisis, he had said, I follow the principle of the Good Samaritan. That's, the found, that's what I believe in. And so when he approached the incoming in administration, he was told no. They said, you're too independent and we can't trust you to follow the party line. And so he went back to private practice because of that. Why? Because he was a Christian. And we know at times it doesn't matter. We're going to offend someone. Sometimes it might be somebody on the left. Sometimes it might be somebody on the right. Sometimes, it, and again, it might be somebody close, like a family member. Sometimes that happens. 
And, it, and, and, and it's, it's happening today. I think there's similar things going on today. But this is what Jesus is saying. If you're a Christian, the company is not first. The party is not first. The country is not first. The hard one. Family is not first. All these things, they come second to Jesus. He says, got to put it in that way. Why? Because, not because he says, I like making you make these tough decisions. He says, because this is what I made you for. This is where you'll find the most joy. This is where you'll find the most contentment. This is where you'll find the most purpose, the most meaning in your life, because there's lots of things. There's lots of things that are trying to seduce us. There's lots of things fighting for our attention, right? And people talk about we're living in, the, in a sense, the golden age of television. Shows are more slickly produced. They're better actors. I mean, all you got to do is I go back and look at some of the shows I liked when I was a teenager, and I was going, this is so dumb. This, of course, some, well, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. So there's, there's, there's lots of things. There's new TV shows coming out. I mean, the new Lord of the Rings show is coming out. I may miss a couple Sundays for that one. I, you know, I just, I'm so excited. There's, you know, Mandalorian's going to come back. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. All these things that are so awesome. World of Warcraft's about to drop a new expansion. Oh, I'm so excited. My D&D group is just taking off, getting crazy fun. And all these things that, that can pull you, you have to say, no, no, this is not important, that important to me. There are things that are more important, whatever it is. Whatever it is, there's something that's more important. This is the one thing. We sang it. This is the one thing. The foundation of your life is now that Jesus loves you. The foundation of your life is now what Jesus thinks of you, what Jesus says is true about you, and that changes everything. I'm not against companies. I'm not against families. I'm not against country. But if you become a Christian, you change. They don't own you. And then to everyone else, sometimes you become a little suspect. The Christian message was an affront equally to everyone. The message that we have all sinned before God, we've all sinned against God, we're all in rebellion against him. All the brokenness and suffering and the heartache in this world caused God to send his son to die for our sins and save us. That story is radically offensive to the human heart because the human heart loves to justify itself. The human heart wants to be in, cha- in charge. Your heart wants to be in charge. You ever told, you, have you ever noticed when you're told to do something? Maybe something you hadn't even thought about and suddenly you're interested in it because you were told not to do it? All the way back to the early church, St. Saint, Saint, Saint Augustine or Augustine, however you pronounce it, I don't matter. He, he wrote about, he wrote about as a, in his book Confessions, he wrote about stealing pears as a kid. And, and he writes in there, why did I want to steal these pears? He said, because I was told not to. He said, I was not poor. My family was not poor. I wasn't, I wasn't hungry. And then he writes in there, I think it's so funny. He writes, I didn't even really like pears. But as soon as someone told me not to, I started thinking, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun to steal those pears? When I was a little kid, I was a fire. I was a pyromaniac. I, I burnt stuff. I got punished so much for that. I burnt stuff. And uh, then I got into fireworks. We had a friend who had an older brother who was a teenager, and he could get us fireworks. And uh, 
I just, it was like, it was like heaven. This is the most incredible thing. And then he got these things. And you have to remember this, this is, okay, oh, this is 50-something years ago. I don't even want to count. They had these things, they were called M80s. And, 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 and they were reputed, reputably, they were a quarter of a stick of dynamite. I don't know if they were really a quarter of a stick of dynamite, but I did know, I saw articles of kids who blew their fingers off with M80s, Right? And so my dad heard that my friend's older brother had gotten some M80s, and he told me, don't you dare light off one of those M80s. Don't you do it. This is dangerous. I'm serious. Okay, Dad. Where we get them? Where we get them? Where we get them? Man? Where we get them? Who's got matches? Who's got matches, right? And then the carnage began, right? We blew up a mailbox. Oh, it was the coolest thing in the world. It was the coolest thing in the world. I'm telling you, you got to try it. It was the coolest thing in the world. Then we found this giant drainage culvert ditch, a drainage ditch, one of those giant things. And so one of us would get close to the end, light it, throw it in, and it would go, would make this incredible noise, incredible noise. And so we're just, this is so cool, you know, this is a, and then people started coming out. So then, you know, we're running and everything. And, and it, the whole thing was, why? Why? Because it's not, you're not supposed to do it. That just, I still struggle with that. I still struggle. I keep, every time we go to South Carolina, I go, do you guys have M80s? Please, do you have M80s? Please, Jesus, please have M80s, right? Why did he steal them? Why did he steal the pears? They were forbidden. Deep in the heart is this voice that says, no one tells me what to do. Self-sovereignty. Anything that questions it. Anything that questions the sovereign, self-sovereignty of the human heart will generate a reaction from the human heart. And when you do that in other people's lives, even in a loving manner, sometimes it generates a reaction. And Jesus generates a reaction. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Go say that in public anywhere and see what the reaction is. How dare you? Who do you think you are? I'm like, I don't think I'm anybody. You see, Jesus is the problem. And if you follow him, you become a part of the problem. The world is fine if you do things and you help people and you think that religion is just basically living a moral life and then hopefully you get to go to heaven, you know. Maybe it's, you know, we, we imagine it as people always talk about St. Peter. Like there's a long line to get St. Peter's evaluating every person in line and whether they get to heaven or not. You know, and I, I talked to a guy one time, we said something like that. And I said, yeah, but then the key is, who are you in line with? Who are you standing behind? Like, if you're standing behind Hitler, and Peter's like, you, hell, next. I'm like, oh, you're much better than Hitler. But what if you're standing behind Mother Teresa? Now you're in a terrible situation because you look terrible next to her. See, it, it's, it's this. Sometimes we have to realize we are not good. Jesus tells us this. You are not good. And we want to be in control. And we say, no, I am kind of good. I don't, I don't do like that, or I don't do, I'm not like that person. But the question then is, how good is good? And Jesus says, no, your goodness is never enough. It is only by grace through faith because of what I do for you. You can't take any credit. Because Jesus shows us who we really are, that can be offensive to people. I think one of the things I think about the most, David saying, 
my sin is ever before me. David's like, I'm always being reminded of how sinful I am. And Christians are like this. I had a guy one time years ago, he didn't like something we were talking, and, and I really wasn't, I just, we were, I was just kind of answering some questions, and he just looked at me, he goes, you're a jerk. And I said, I know, I know, and you don't even know half of it. You don't even know the half of it. If this gets your jerk meter up, you don't want to know any more about me because I really am. I really am. This is the point as a Christian. We're honest. We know it. When you see that Jesus is who he says he is, it will rock your world because he says, now, now, follow me. Follow me. I'll be in you. You'll be in me. We're connected. So this pushback that the world gives we talk about why does it happen, it's because of Jesus. The more Jesus is in you, the more pushback you'll get. If you don't want pushback, ignore Jesus. That's what's going to happen. Final thing, the response to persecution. And Jesus launches into this, and at first you, you, it's hard to understand where he's going with this because he talks about persecution. And he says, when, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Right? So it's like, uh, but that's the whole point, right? The testifying, which is the living it out, is what causes the pushback. And it's interesting in verse 26, we see this. It's kind of the, um, the inner workings of the Trinity. Right? We see a picture of the Father and the Son and the Spirit uh, glorifying each other, loving each other, serving each other. This is all going on. And it's an amazing thing. He says, I want you in this. It's like this incredibly beautiful dance in the Trinity. And Jesus says, join us. Join us. I want you to be a part of this. The advocate, the spirit, Advocate, he's the one for you. The Spirit is like, I'm pro you. He points to the Son. We see in other scriptures, each member of the Trinity points to each other and lifts each other up. And the natural outcome of this, the desired outcome of this is verse 27, you will also testify. He says, how are you going to make it without me? This is it. Join us, and then you will go, and you will, you will be a reconciler. You will be a lover of people. You will be a server. And we join in, and we're invited into this loving, serving dance of love. Why? Because it's what we were made for. It's what we were made for. We do this all the time. We do something like this all the time. You think about this, getting so into something that you love that you testify about it, right? You see a good movie, right? What do you do? You go tell people, that movie is awesome. You go to a good restaurant, you say, man, that restaurant, the meal, take a picture, you know, send it out. Everybody knows now what I had for dinner. This is delicious. you got to try it. You go on a vacation, right? You just, it's, it, you, it was so fun. Um, I, I had the privilege of doing Josh and Sarah's wedding a, a couple weeks ago. My wife and I went, and, and I found... See, I can't help but tell you, I found the coolest Airbnb I've ever seen in my life, okay? I've ever seen in my life, and I got pictures. If you want to see them, you can, you can talk to me. 
Why? Because I would love to share with you how cool it was. And I'm not going to do it right now. Ooh, leave you hanging. No, I will. I will. It was a train. It was an old 1890s train that had been refurbished into an Airbnb sitting in the middle of a vineyard. Now, is that the coolest, most romantic thing you ever? My wife was like, you are good. You are good. Yay, Bob, right? Mega points on that one. And, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Why? Because what happens when we see something that we feel is incredible, we want to testify. We want to say something. We want others to experience it as well. And this is the cool part about it because this is how we're made. And we get joy. Someone else goes and sees the movie I recommended. They come back. They go, you're right. It was awesome. And we get joy out of that because joy comes from serving and loving and testifying. And it's natural. We want others to experience it. That's the reason. But this forms, then, this forms the basis for our response to persecution because we're operating on a foundation of love. We're operating on a foundation of support that we can rest upon in difficult times. Jesus said in verse 20, don't be surprised. I told you this would happen. They persecuted me. They're gonna persecute you. But he says also, just remember, you're, you're blessed for being persecuted for righteousness' sake. There is blessings in that. With the key on the end there, for righteousness' sake, right? In other words, check yourself before you wreck yourself because you gotta make sure what you're being persecuted for is not that you're an obnoxious person. It's not that you're tactless. It's not that you're culturally inappropriate. It's not that you're arrogant. It's not that you're graceless. If you're being persecuted for that, you're being persecuted for being a jerk and you deserve it. There's no beatitude for those. There's no blessing, you know? Blessed are the graceless. It's not there, right? I had a guy, I talked to a guy a while back and he was going door to door and he told me, you know, some people, I tell them, I wanna to talk to you about getting saved, right? And they slammed the door in my face. I am being persecuted for Jesus. And he was thrilled. He was thrilled. And I told him, I'm sorry, you're not. I said, if you went to those doors and you said, I want to talk to you about Buddha, and they slammed the, they'd slam the door in your face too. And then you'd go, I'm being persecuted for Buddha? Would you say that? No, you're being persecuted because you went to somebody's door without them wanting you to be there. You didn't ask. You didn't contact them ahead of time. And they don't want you. That's what you're being persecuted for. You're being persecuted for being stupid. You're persecuted for being culturally inappropriate, right? I mean, think about it. I know, I know, when I was a little kid, salesmen would come to homes, because I remember as a little kid, the fuller brush salesman would come, the, the vacuum cleaner salesman would come, people from a church would come, whatever, they'd knock on the door, and my mom would just let them in. She would let them in, she'd come in. But the, but the unspoken deal was, you got like 20 minutes. I'll give you a cup of coffee, I'll put out a few little cookies, you got 20 minutes, and then you're, you're done. You're done. That's what the culture was back then right? But now, honestly, how many of us look out our front window and say, oh, someone I've never seen before is walking up to my door. I'm excited. No, we don't, right? Your first thought is, who are you? Why are you what are you doing here? I didn't ask you to come. You have no invitation to be on my property. What are you selling, right? It's distrustful. That's, that's our culture, now, if God leads you to go knock on someone's door sight unseen, 
go for it. But you better make sure God's leading you because it is not culturally appropriate in our culture. And so we have to make sure when we're being, you know, when people, when we get pushback, when people are mad at us, people show us contempt. If they're showing it because of Jesus, that's exactly how it's supposed to be. If they're showing it because we are, you know, did something that was just offensive, don't blame it on Jesus. Don't blame it on Jesus. But sometimes, sometimes we will suffer. And let me give you real quick how to react. I just put all three together. First of all, don't use it selfishly. What do I mean by that? Well, it's like that guy that said, I'm suffering for Jesus because they're slamming the doors in my face. He was enjoying it, right? He was using it to feel noble about himself so that he could feel better about himself. So if you're using it to feel better about yourself or you're using it so you can look down on other people and hold them in contempt, then we're just like them. We don't trumpet our suffering. And some people do even seem to enjoy it. It makes them feel better about themselves. What happened to Jesus? He didn't use it selfishly. What did he do? He prayed for and loved his enemies. That's what he did. All right, second, don't avoid it. Look, don't be afraid to speak the truth, Scripture says, in love. And then if there's pushback, if somebody gets angry with you, don't seek it own it, because it's because of Jesus, which leaves a huge question dangling in front of us. Do people know you're a Christian? Do they even know it? Coworkers, family, friends, neighbors? We don't avoid it. We can't avoid it. Finally, don't be surprised by it. We're followers of Jesus. Some of the people Jesus met and taught were changed for eternity, and some of them hated him. That's going to happen. Think of this. You have the incredible possibility, the incredible possibility of the joy of changing someone for eternity. Not that you change them, but God works through you to change them. There is nothing in the world that is like that. There is nothing in the world that's like that. I got a letter a while back. Oh, man. I, and I, this is that whole thing about patting yourself. I don't mean to. But I got a letter a while back from somebody who just wrote, hey, Bob, it's been a long time, but I just want to tell you something. You changed my life. And the person even wrote in there, look, I know you didn't, you didn't change my life, but God used you to change my life. And they just wrote in there, I will thank you for eternity. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing this world has to offer better than that. There's no television series better than that. There's no wow expansion that's better than that, right? There's nothing better than that. And he says, you can be involved in the greatest movement in the history of the world. We have to look to Jesus in this. You know, um, Yesterday, talking with the men, talking about how Moses focused on God, and that word for focus was the idea of having this very particular, concrete clearness of one particular thing, and everything else around it gets a little fuzzy, a little bit out of focus. Paul uses a very similar word also when he talks about looking to Jesus, and the whole idea is that Jesus becomes the central, the vision of us. Everything else is not quite as important. 
other stuff, it doesn't disappear. It's just less relevant, less important. Philippians 2.7, 2, it says Jesus emptied himself. It says he became nothing. The King James, I love the King James translation in this. It says it, he made himself of no reputation for you, for me. He died in shame to give us honor. We have this standing as followers of Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of the king. We have this standing that no person, no other human being can shake. And because of that standing, we can stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you don't pull any punches. You, you, you give it to us straight. We are, at times, going to experience pushback, and maybe even more and more, who knows where things are headed. And so, Lord, in this, help us to uh, not to be worried about what others may say and not to spend all our time obsessing over these things, but to focus on you. And in focusing on you, we have the strength, we have the power, we have the ability to stand in the most difficult of situations. And Lord, help us to do that. And God, thank you for the joy that you bring even through those times. And so we look to you. Give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the heart to know. In Jesus' name we come to you. Amen.